0: Hey guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. This is my guest, Gabriel Glenn, and you are the co-founder, CEO of Make You Safe, Yeah, which is a company that I became aware of probably a year and a half or so ago. Okay. It was actually through our Encore Safety Network, this collaboration that we do with uh, Ella Brock Norris yeah, in town I've here, and Tom had come over that. and done yeah. a few of those programs, and I listened. and. Was fascinated by the technology, and uh, I'm not a tech guy, but I, I, I'm smart enough to know that there's going to be technology. It appears that some of this stuff is going to have to happen. I tried to, I pretend, <laughs> I tried to ignore it, you know. Like, I took my first computer class in college, 1979, maybe okay. something like that. Fortran, punch cards, punch cards, big. Size you know, of a, a, exactly a room. Yeah. and i thought this is never gonna catch on man so i didn't even bother to learn computer stuff so you know by the time <laughs> i had to actually use a computer i was so far behind but i think technology is i guess inevitable
1: yeah and, and it's supposed to <laughs> and make useful. our lives easier yes well <laughs> we were talking about it just a little bit ago about you know i've i've made my home a smart home right and and got all the different gadgets the lights that turn on my coffee maker i can just tell alexa whenever i wake up in the morning just start my coffee and she starts my coffee and all of these conveniences and then the internet goes out and my whole darn house doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) what do we do do, dad gotta go and like unplug my smart plug and just plug it
0: into the regular plug and you know all this stuff so it's there is a certain inevitability to that i think too i i can remember um 20 years ago Going to Home Depot or one of the big box um, hardware stores, and their computer system would be down. you couldn't check out and I was thought this is you know this is going to be the downfall of yep. our society, this dependence and you know who knew but anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, thank you for coming Thanks for having first me. first and foremost man yeah, love drive over from Des Moines
1: it was a, yeah, it was a beautiful morning.
0: I love driving and I like morning drives it's, when the weather's nice it, like it's this.
1: better for me because I'm going. Uh, east to west in the morning. So the sun's right. at my back. Yeah, if that's You're nice. going our way, then you're just yeah, driving right rude. into that bright sun. You yes. Know? So no it was I've great. I've done drive. that
0: too. I have had that experience, but I appreciate your coming. I love the company. I love what you're Thank doing. You. Um, you can talk about the technology and a little bit about the origin story of the company. Uh, you're not a safety guy. Not, no. But, but one of the applications of your technology is safety. And I wouldn't think it's the exclusive application. The more I look at what you do, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of application to it. But there is a piece that relates to safety. So if you wouldn't, I know you've told the story a thousand times, if not more. But would you give us just a little bit about Make You Safe and how it started? And
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. It's interesting, you know, when we use the term uh, safety guy or safety professional, I, I think about it. We're all, we're people. We care about people right people who care about people is really maybe a better title for it because safety is an element of that and it's an important element of that but it's really more about how do we take care of our fellow man of course and agreed i i kind of my journey into this is i mentioned my father was kind of my first mentor uh as a young man and he worked in a factory third shift Mm -hmm. so my mom was a stay-at-home mom four kids my dad worked third shift, uh, building printing presses. So talk mm. about technology that goes, goes out of style. Yeah. So, uh, there was a company in Cedar Rapids called Goss and they made, uh, newspaper printing presses for newspapers, magazines, things like that. And then around the late nineties, when everybody started yeah. using phone, internet, all that kind of stuff and everything moved online, the company went bankrupt. And so my father, you know, after 20 years of, of working overnight to, to support a, a family of six, uh, found himself showing up and the gate was locked and they said, you know, not have a job, mm-hmm. go home.
0: Yeah. And so
1: at that time he was a high school grad. Uh, and you can imagine being 20 years into a career with a high school degree uh, or high school diploma. What, what are, what are you, going to do? And he got the idea that he wanted to, to impact safety. And so went to school Mm-hmm. Uh, got a degree in safety and then became a safety manager And for the last 20 years of his career before he retired uh about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. uh, he, he managed okay. safety. And okay. so, yeah, it's, it, it was interesting. <laughs> I remember some of the early memories I have of, of being able to go visit him at the factory. And of course, this is way back before there was a lot of focus on safety mm-hmm. and OSHA and regulation and things like that. Um, to To where things are at today and the inv- advancements that have been made today mm-hmm. in in safety and uh, and so really a lot of this was inspired by him and and trying to find a way to help my father work smarter uh, to be more proactive and I think that was the biggest epiphany for me mm-hmm. when 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 I ended up going down the road of chasing this opportunity of of trying to improve that was realizing that a lot of the safety industry is reactive um it's getting Mm -hmm. better and 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 conversations that i hear on this podcast Mm -hmm. and conversations that i hear in real life when i go visit sites we're we're making that move but for the longest time everything was wait for something bad to happen figure out why it happened and try to prevent it from happening again right Right. exactly and then wait for something bad to happen again Mm -hmm. so you can Mm -hmm. move on to the next thing and so the idea clicks of why can't we just fail your yeah, yeah, so. like why can't we just not have something bad happen mm-hmm. and be able to, to see it ahead of time? And so that was really the the vision behind it was can we create technology that allows us to see a little bit into the future so that we can try to be more proactive in the way that we manage workplace safety? Mm-hmm. And that was really the impetus wow. of of making so safe.
0: you had some um you were, you've been an entrepreneur. You described yourself kind of as a serial entrepreneur in the article that I read this morning at 4.45, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. And um, so you had a technology background to some degree, and then you saw this problem or this opportunity and developed a, a way to apply technology to that, to that um, assessment uh, ability, as you said, kind of a proactive approach to making these observations and determinations. So the technology is a wearable technology. Can you talk a little bit about the actual make you safe product and what it does and how it works?
1: Yeah, yeah. If it's okay, I'll jump back a little bit, like the entrepreneurial side of things. So my my first job, we moved into a new neighborhood, and I think I was eight or nine years old. Uh, And my mom gets a phone call one day from one of the neighbors. And she said, Hey, uh, did you know your son is out taking rocks out of people's landscaping and then and then selling them back to <laughs> us. <laughs> well, so my mom that. my mom's horrified, right? It's a brand new <laughs> neighborhood, <laughs> right? And, and this was a step up for us, you know. We, I grew up uh we started life in a trailer park, right? Now we're in a nice Absolutely. middle-class neighborhood. And so my mom's horrified. So she tracks me down and I've got her red wagon that she does yard work with and it's got all these rocks laid out into it and she's like, "Gabriel, what what on earth are you doing? You can't steal rocks from these people." And sell them back to them and i was like no, no no you don't understand i i've spent hours going through their landscaping and finding fossils and geodes and all the really good rocks that are just laying in their yard that they mm-hmm. don't even know are there and i've cleaned them all up and i'm giving them back to them at a price and i said it's a service business <laughs> right. it wasn't a product business <laughs> right. it was a service business and at so eight at, years old at eight years old so i think my mom knew that that i was destined for trouble and uh and then i was the kid that you know would take apart the you know, $1,000 VCR, because you remember how much, how expensive oh God, those yes. things were. Back, you oh, know, yeah, I, I would take stuff apart, and I'd make new things out of it. And, and uh, so anyways, that was kind of my my curiosity with electronics. And it's oh, incredible. And so then, fa- you know, fast forward, uh, I got into computers, I got into programming and things like that. Um, and a friend and I got together and, and, and built a nice little business around, uh, it was still kind of centered around the industrial industry. But we were we were building custom software applications and custom software programs to take uh systems inside of a manufacturing environment and and like move them to the cloud, Mm -hmm. right? And move them to the internet, which is table stakes today. But back when we started doing that, it was really revolutionary for Mm -hmm. these companies. Um, and so that was really kind of the first big leap that I took. And I was fortunate we sold that company in 2015. Yeah. And I hung around for about a year as we transitioned our team and our customers, and then Um, I had always just kind of been having this, this recurring dream, uh, about what would eventually become make you safe. And Mm -hmm. I just remember waking up, it was a morning, I think, uh, late October, early November of 20, 2015. And, uh, I looked over at my wife and we were laying in bed and she goes, uh, you need to, you need to quit, uh, the job. So we had, I had transitioned i was i was fully moved over to this new company i was working within this new company and and i think she knew before i knew that that i needed to to go and pursue this yeah. and uh you know moving into the technology side of it it was it was simple i wanted to um growing up in the midwest you know what it's like we, we don't go run for cover when the tornado sirens go off because we're surprised we already knew that there was risk presence mm-hmm. and it's because of hundred plus years worth of data gathering and now the weatherman gets on on monday and says hey if you're going to be outside on friday pack an umbrella or watch the sky or Mm -hmm. you know be careful because there's likely risk present of tornadic activity and so the idea became you know what are the conditions and factors that a worker experiences um that are unique and individual to that worker and we'll talk a little bit about Mm that um and and where can we gather the data that will help us understand when risk is beginning to rise, right? And because an accident is the the worst evidence that, that risk was present, Sure. right? So yeah. all of that risk built up, then there's an accident of some kind. And so the thought was, if we could take a piece of technology that could look outward from the worker, that could look at their environment around them, and we're looking at things like, uh, temperature and humidity and air quality and sound and lighting and uh, VOCs and mm-hmm, CO2—all mm-hmm. of these things that um, are present around a worker while they do their job—and they're constantly changing, right? And if we can look at these things and measure them and begin to understand the patterns within them that can result in higher risk, then we can intervene before mm-hmm. we reach that mm-hmm. we reach that ultimate. Um, You know, worst result of Uh of an accident. And so it was important that we did two things with Make You Safe. One is gather a lot of data and get it up to the cloud in real Mm -hmm. time. Right. The other thing that was unique about this was and there was nothing at the time when we started that was doing anything like this was we wanted it on the individual worker. And, and Doug, you know, from your years of experience of being on job sites, you and I could be working an eight hour shift this far away from each other. And this isn't a table. This is a machine between us. The exhaust is coming off at you. Mm -hmm. The sound is coming off at me. At the end of the day, what we experienced was unique to us. It was completely different.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And so the thought was, if we can get that down to the individual worker level, We can get much more prescriptive in the way that we address things Mm -hmm. and who we address things with. You Mm -hmm. know, gone are the days of, hey, today is, you know, fire safety month. Open your binder. We're going to talk about that. Thank God we now can go, hey, Doug's Doug's flagging on here is high risk for repetitive motion Mm and injury the data is telling us that let's go talk to Doug and see what he's doing mm-hmm. and see if mm-hmm. we can find a better way to do that job. Right.
0: Yes. So it's, that,
1: that was really kind of the, the impetus of it. And it's remarkable.
0: We got started. It's truly remarkable. And, and you mentioned two things there two pieces. There is the wearable technology that is gathering the data, the sensors, the monitors, accelerometers, whatever's found in that tiny little device. And then the cloud, the algorithm make you smart. I believe yeah. you refer to it as. And and so it is yeah. actually crunching the data and learning from the data. I mean, is it is this uh, artificial intelligence to some degree? I mean, is it actually? It is,
1: yeah. You know, when I was thinking about it, uh, I love my father, uh, but he was never a technologist, mm-hmm. right? And so a, a lot of uh, professionals, no matter what they do, aren't necessarily people that are savvy with technology. And so the thought of putting a whole bunch of data in front of a guy like my dad and saying... Hey, here's all the data, yeah, yeah, go find the problem, didn't make a lot of sense. And so that's when, when we realized, you know, we can employ machine learning mm-hmm. uh, to process that data, can look for trends, can look for trends with a group of workers, with an individual worker, with an area of a job site, how are things trending? How did it compare to previous times and mm-hmm. things like that? And, uh, you know, machines are really good at crunching all yeah. of that data. And then what comes out of it is, Hey, if you've got an hour to spend out on the floor, Here's where you need to go and here's where you can spend your time that is going to make the most impact because these people are at risk or this area is having issues or Mm -hmm. these things might be uh, a sign that there's something else underlying. Go look at those things. And so Mm -hmm. really what it helps the safety professional do and operations professionals and other leadership is be more effective with the little time that they get in a workday to actually go out and enact change based on
0: information derived from real data Mm -hmm. That's this this is fascinating and so and this is incredibly timely because about three weeks ago the youtube algorithm um fed me uh, a safety podcast normally it feeds me other stuff i have to admit but (laughs) i must have googled or searched something related to safety in a moment of weakness or desperation perhaps i was given a presentation or something (laughs) But it fed me a YouTube video from a guy named Sidney Decker. Yeah. You know, Sidney Decker, Todd Conklin. Dr. Um, Conklin, yeah. These guys that are all, they're academics and they are proponents of this, what they refer to as safety done differently, this new approach to safety. Yeah. And I'm a traditional safety guy. You know, I'm a safe, they would refer to me as safety one, just like you described. You have an accident, you investigate it you implement some corrective actions and you hope that it doesn't happen again. Then you chase the next accident as an OSHA person. That's what we, I did for 20 years. And as a safety professional before that same thing, their approach is much different. And it is most of what we do actually is successful. Very rarely do we have these failures that our system can't contain, you know, the outside the tolerances of our system. Yeah and so the data that you're so they refer to this as you know work as envisioned versus work as done and when you design a system here's how you imagine it it's it's going to perform mm-hmm. and then as we both know you go out into the plant and employees adapt to whatever they're confronted with and they make it work and so work as done is different than work as intended and your system collects all that data about how work is successful. And you can can learn from that data. When things are going well for us, when we're being productive, when we're being safe, when our quality is good, we have a data set or we have multiple data sets that are indicative of success. And we can see, of course, where we have had uh, some type of uh, uh, deviation and maybe Mm -hmm. we have a near miss or maybe we have an accident or something. Mm and we can see what the data looks like prior to that the precursors of that and what that looks like and so i mean everything that they've described is going to be under the, the within the capabilities of your system and I, as i was thinking about this i was you know i've always been impressed with the system and i've yeah. spoken with tom on a number of occasions sure. i love the way it's going i'm a dinosaur and i know this is the future but as i was reading Listening to these guys, these academics, and thinking about your system, they are perfectly married to be able to generate from what we know to be successful data to what we fear might be um, some kind of a deviation and an incident data, and to use that as an antecedent, to, to know when to intervene. And just like you said, you know, when I go out onto the floor to watch employees work, I don't know what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I'm out there. I mean, I have some experience you've in got the your field. Code book, right? I've got a code yeah. book. Exactly. And, and you're
1: out there looking for a, that's a violation spindle that's got something too long on it. Exactly. And, you know, something
0: that's isn't hard missing. Yeah. It's not gonna hurt anybody in all yeah, likelihood, in all probability. Not. Yeah. So to be able to direct that time, as you've said, this is this is huge. I don't know if you've had any time to speak with these guys
1: they're on our radar and in fact i think tom uh from our team has has been reached out reaching to out these to them guys. and we've got our conference coming up in september over yes. in, in des moines and uh i think they'd be a great addition
0: if, if we can make it work yeah if, if you can get some of the todd or sydney or the eric hall Nagel or all of these guys that are involved in this safety too which is basically you know tracking success and it's trying to it's, mimic success. It's people-centric. It's, it's human. People, it's, absolutely. It, it is such a, a,
1: a mind shift uh, for that space. And yeah, I want to track back to something you said a little bit ago that I think is the, the power be, behind why this is able to work. And so as a safety professional, uh, your primary job is to identify a hazard, determine exposure, apply controls, wash, rinse, repeat, yes. right? And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, How did you ever know if your controls were successful, if they were good? Your only measurement was, oh, great. Nobody else got hurt doing that thing. And we all know that could be a product of good luck. It could be. uh, Who knows? But now we have not only this rich set of data that. You know we're monitoring things that people can actually be harmed by right so high heat exposure Mm -hmm. you know air quality people can actually get injured from that stuff noise exposure right they Mm -hmm. can damage their hearing Mm -hmm. so it's important that we measure that stuff so that we can intervene at the time but we're also gathering a lot of contextual data that's going to tell us over time when these magic confluences of factors come together we see a heightened level of risk And so, when we begin to understand that, that's when we can do the weather forecasting Mm -hmm. side of things, where we can do the early warning, where we can say, hey, we know at 62% humidity and 78 degrees in the shipping and receiving department, we see a 33% increase in slips and Mm -hmm. falls, right? Probably condensation. That's the condensation point for that area. We now know that. We have the data. And many of these facilities, they got smart air handling systems, they got all this stuff. We can just automate that out. Right. The system can know, hey, if I if I sense that it's, you know, at whatever percent humidity and whatever percent or whatever temperature, we're just going to go ahead and turn that on automatically. So we never hit that risk threshold. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's one power of the data. The other power of the data is understanding how how effective are we with our control measures. Right. And we even have some customers. It's been really interesting to see where I'll have two groups of people that do the exact same work and they're experiencing uh, maybe some some uh, fears about MSDs or motion injuries. And, and they decide, hey, we're going to apply a couple of different controls. And you can immediately see from the data, both controls were effective, right? They both helped mitigate that risk. But this control over here was significantly more effective. Mm-hmm. That will be our best practice as mm-hmm. a company going forward. But we we don't know that if our only measurement is did anybody else didn't get injured? Have an
0: accident. Right. Right. And totally. so the the
1: the power of this data allows us to understand the the efficacy of our actions. Mm-hmm. And what I think is great about that is over time, as a as a safety community, we're effectively crowdsourcing the best remediation actions. And so right. we can become a knowledge center for people too, mm-hmm. especially that that mm-hmm. new safety professional. So in our platform, when they see that risk has been identified today, we provide some suggested remediation actions for them. Mm -hmm. And we we refine that list over time as we see what's more effective. Wow. So that's that's the power of
0: data. Huge. And yes. And, um, typically in the reactive, in the old safety safety one, you know, the old way, you don't have a lot of data. I mean, we used to refer to doing trend analysis from OSHA 300 logs where there were five entries, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I saw two lacerations. So we do have a trend. Yeah. <laughs> well, I took enough statistics to know these aren't significant. You know, right. these are, I mean, it's almost worthless information to some extent and it's probably misleading to some degree. We're Absolutely. focusing on things that probably aren't the most consequential in our work environments because we're not getting enough data, To to, uh, reveal those things. One of the things that you said a moment ago about the individual nuances of work, that's another thing. When I go out now and I do observations in a work environment, I'm looking at maybe a work environment as a whole. And what are they doing? Where are the potential catastrophic exposures, things that could really go bad and hurt someone? But when you have individual data like that, and we know, I know from my experience, I'm an industrial hygienist by training. And so I've done lots and lots of air and noise and radiation monitoring over the years, things like that. And I can sample 10 different welders doing the exact same work and have significantly different exposures yeah. based on their body position and how they address their work. Training deficiencies, perhaps, or just, sure. just anatomical challenges. I mean, whatever that might be. And so... To see, to be able to look at data and say, we are approaching, you know, that significant exposure or the repetitions or things like that where, wow, you know, I mean, during a normal work week, our individuals engage in that movement 5,000 times Mm -hmm. and and Doug's already at 12,000. I mean, he's going to destroy himself in some fashion. Yeah. I, I think, I just love the idea particularly from an industrial hygiene standpoint of having more data in real time data, because as a pump hanger, I get, you know, eight hours of data once a year and we make decisions from that. And it's just a horrible way to make those decisions,
1: you know, and, and, and applying this kind of new methodology of, of human centric people centric safety when Typically, when a job is designed, we don't design it for an infinite number of body types, of course, an infinite number of of physical capabilities, Mm -hmm. right? We take a six foot 180 pound person, we have them do this job a few times, right? And that's how we write the the job role and and the job process, right? And then what you find out from the data is, hey, we've got 10 people that are all doing the same job and they all have relatively the same output. So they're all, you know, doing a good job as far as productivity. Mm-hmm. But we've got this one person that is so much higher in physical force right. doing this job. Right now we have the clue. We know who we need to go mm-hmm. look at and we need. So we've zeroed in on that. And then you go do an observation. And you realize this person is five foot four. Mm hmm. Right, and they're doing the work up here that everybody else is able to do down here. That person is the one that's at risk, right? Right. And yeah, uh, injuries happen sometimes in an instant, right? But a lot of the stuff, especially stuff that ruins people's lives, is cumulative Cumulative trauma. Absolutely, it's it's the Mm -hmm. that guy did that for twenty five years, right? Now his shoulders are shot. Mm -hmm. He's going to retire. He's not going to be able to play golf like he wanted to. He won't be able to pick his grandkids up, right? right? And and. The data was there to tell us that this was likely to happen right mm-hmm. and so it, it gives us this powerful insight into you know finding that needle in the haystack when you're typically to your point looking at an entire uh, job site or right. an entire job role within a job site right. so the ability to zero in on that and be able to en- enact
0: change uh, i think is incredibly powerful i, I do too that, that is remarkable i think and i'm not a thinker um but it seems like there are a lot of applications beyond simply um projecting potential safety issues for this technology i have a friend um one of the sponsors of the podcast she's an occupational therapist and she develops um work capacity projections for different job activities Mm -hmm. and so when people want to do post-offer pre-employment physicals or something or physical capacity testing she will go observe the work and develop those specifically for those jobs this kind of data could really be useful in developing physical capacity standards for work activities knowing who's capable of doing it um who is not i mean i think well and what are the conditions The applications are just limitless
1: Sorry to jump on you, there Doug, <laughs> okay. but uh, again, when we when we do a lot of these things we're we're doing it in a static environment, right? And we know today OSHA is heavily focused on heat stress. It's going to be a hundred degrees plus again, starting this weekend here in the midwest, right, right? right The physical capacity of a worker as the job was designed in whatever physical therapy office or whatever lab, or maybe even on the job site, it wasn't done in those conditions. Mm -hmm. Right. And and so we don't understand what change has to happen necessarily or what expectations we have to change on what the actual capacity is of that job under ever changing conditions. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not just heat. I mean, it's always changing, Mm -hmm. you know, always. So fantastic. That's a great point. I think that's That's the beauty of gathering data, whether it's, you know, technology like make you safer, just gathering data from from the worksite environment is it's organic. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why it's an environment. It's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And if you're not considering those factors, you know, one of my pet peeves and you talk about it on this podcast, too, is, you know, when a safety manager is like, I got an idiot that just always causes accidents right or this guy's a, right. this guy's a moron he's a, a walking accident kind of thing um people will do things differently uh than they've ever done under uh, under certain circumstances so you might have somebody that does the job right all the time but they've never done it in 104 degree yeah, change the peak,
0: context
1: right and, and their behaviors and now all of a sudden taking that shortcut seems pretty convenient because mm-hmm. if i can take that shortcut Now I can get to the cooling center quicker Mm -hmm. or now I can get to my break quicker or whatever the case may be. And so you have to factor all of those things in when you're thinking about what led to that. And I appreciated it was on a recent uh, episode of yours where uh, just talking about that not being the fault of. The person we should really look at it and go instead of just blaming the Mm -hmm. person for taking that shortcut. We really need to look broader than that and say what in the entire system failed. Right? It was a culture problem. Mm -hmm. It was a leadership problem. It was a control problem. It was an engineering problem. It was a system problem. There are other factors. It's really, really easy and it's really, really cheap to just blame it on the worker and walk away. And and I and Mm -hmm. I feel like that's changing. And I appreciate seeing that. That, That's
0: exactly what. These this group of academics that I've been reading, I, I think I've purchased about twelve books from Amazon over the last week or two because you know it's that light bulb moment. And again, I I have been doing this for a long, long time under the old tenets, you know, under the old processes, and always had some consternation about. Uh, I hate blaming the employee. In fact, I hate blaming the employer. Oftentimes. Mm-hmm. You know, assigning blame doesn't really help the process. Just, you know, doing the observations and the analysis, Uh, learning. I mean, that's the intent rather than just blaming. But I think you're right. I think what your comment about, the context changes behaviors, um, is one of the things that these guys talk about. Error is normal. Mm -hmm. Employees are going to make mistakes every day. Good employees, bad employees, they will all make mistakes and do our systems have the capacity to tolerate that without some significant outcome?
1: Yeah, well, if, if people, that's were, people were
0: perfect, we wouldn't be having a, a podcast yeah. episode today but We wouldn't need to do right? that. Absolutely. So
1: recognizing that and accepting that and not using that as your excuse for why something failed uh, makes all the sense in the mm-hmm. world. And that's, that's the only way you're actually going to make the situation better is when you remove that. Now, I, I, I get it you know, that person bypassed the safety gate and walked into the machine while it was running because they thought they could grab their hat really quick or mm-hmm. whatever the mm-hmm. case may be, right? That, that, that wasn't smart, but what, what allowed that to happen, right? right. What in, in the culture of that workplace let that person in their mind think, this is acceptable, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. where I would start, Right, that's the first layer of the onion that I would peel back. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even start looking at the well. Why don't we have a locking mechanism on that cage and things like that? He just lifted a latch. There should be a padlock on there. Mm-hmm. Okay, come, let's, let's let's start at the top. Right, mm-hmm. what in our culture allowed this to happen? Yeah, because when there's a culture of accountability, and you you know that when you walk on a job site, and we have many of our customers have fantastic safety culture, which you think is would be counter intuitive because they're like, well, why would they invest in safety technology if they're already doing really well? And it's because they care. It's Mm -hmm. because they're doing well and they always want to do better. Right. Mm -hmm. And they always want to be at the forefront of, of, of improving things. And so, um, those are the organizations that you feel that culture. And oftentimes when, when we see accidents happen, the first thing that you notice is a lack of that culture.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Course. That so I don't typically pre-plan questions, but one of the things I was thinking about asking was, you know, who who is the company that you're looking for? Who is the company that will be attracted to this technology? And I think you 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 described it. It's not a particular industry. This is something that all types of industries could use: construction yeah. and manufacturing, and and you food name it: healthcare, mining, food, health whatever care. that is. Yeah, but there, there's a certain mindset to the company that is going to use your product. Yeah, I, would I assume at this point.
1: Yeah, I, again, I think part of it is culture, and we've gotten better too of of uh, I would say qualifying our customers. Mm-hmm. Right, a lot. I heard some of these things in the early days uh, from prospects of, oh, I can't wait to get these on workers. I got a couple of guys that I I, I know are my problem people, right? <laughs> and now I'm gonna have the hard evidence to. Right, right. To prove it, right? Right. Um, and that already lets us know we're, we're set up for failure. But I mean, stepping back to, to, the, to the start of the, the company, one of the first questions I asked before I even you know, started doing any work as far as building technology was I talked to factory owners. I mentioned I had a software company. I worked in the industrial mm-hmm. space. So I had a lot of contacts. So I started reaching out to the owners and to the safety managers. And I said, do you want to know this? Right. Do you want this data? Because if you know, you need to take action, right? It's going to show you some things that are going to surprise you, right? Mm -hmm. I I thought that would be the case. And it's proven to be the case, right? Within hours, certainly days, we're seeing things that they had no idea were there. The reality is those things were always there. And that's what I heard from the the organizations that I feel like get it and have a really good culture. Uh, The owners would say to me, I want to know, right? Because the reality is it's already there. I just don't know that it's there. Mm-hmm. Can't do something about something I don't know, right? So if I can find it, I'll do something about it. And the reality is, is they're, they're liable anyways, right? So either you get the information and you're able to do something about it proactively which shows a great deal of faith and effort. You know, if you ever end up having an accident where you do have to go to court and they start questioning your safety culture, your Mm -hmm. safety processes, and you can say, we invest in this, we do this, this is how we approach this. We track this, all of these things, Mm -hmm. right? Things are still going to happen. Accidents, uh, unfortunately, still going to happen. Right. But now you have all of this, Evidence of what you're doing as an organization to make it better. Right. And that's what those owners told me. So we're going to be responsible for it anyways, but mm-hmm. I'd rather prevent it than be responsible for it. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that was the motivation that I needed to hear. Because, again, right. I thought, wow, plausible deniability would be great. Like, hey, sorry, we <laughs> right. didn't know it sucked no to idea. work here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. yeah, our turnover rates, you know, 85%. But, right. you know. Yep.
0: Everybody loves uh, us. Yeah, exactly. The that,
1: 15% that stick around, man, they sure.
0: But that sure is a like certain it. type of company that wants to know that. Yeah. Because, you know, that is another challenge that I see all the time in safety is, um, or working in this safety world is that people don't always want to know that and sometimes often you know the spotlight shines back on you as the leader or the owner or something and that's not always easy you know yeah well, because that whole thing that you just described of, you know there there's no value in blaming the employee for a behavior that led to an error because we know they're going to make errors yeah and we know they're going to be non-compliant so Anytime you do an, an incident investigation, you might as well start knowing that the employee made a mistake. There was an error involved, and it probably involves some kind of noncompliance with one of our cornerstone procedures yeah. that we thought was appropriate, but we don't know that. And um, when we realize that oftentimes our systems or procedures are bad or lacking or our training is bad or lacking or whatever that might be, that's that's hard to... Take some time. So it, it takes a, a company that really cares about their employees and wants to learn and improve to benefit from that information.
1: Yeah. And, and to the point earlier, too, is sometimes the procedure or the policy that they wrote made sense because something happened and coming out of it, really smart people thought, hey, this is the way that we should mitigate this risk. Mm-hmm. Right but they didn't have data to know whether it was effective or not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So That's maybe even the policy itself wasn't broken. Maybe the policy just failed that employee, right? Right. But they, but they didn't know because mm-hmm. they had no
0: way of measuring that. Yeah, so, that really is a huge strength of this. So when you started all this, this was probably, you've been doing this for about five or six years now, yeah, is that about, right? Yeah, about six years, uh, about six years ago. And so um, I love the fact that you went out and asked these businesses, first of all, if they would even want the data, And then, what data, probably, and and um, how are we best going to capture this data? I mean, you could have set little monitors all over the facility, probably in fixed, you know. But that doesn't. That was actually the first idea. Give you useful information, at least not as useful, perhaps. That was the that was,
1: I think, a big turning point. Originally, I had this vision for uh, sensor clusters, as I call Mm -hmm, them, mm -hmm. right, and just stationary sensor clusters around. And the more and more I spent time on job sites and talking to these owners, I realized that that point I made earlier about it, it's so unique. It's individual that experience that day for yeah. every single one of the 4,000 workers that was on that job site that day was completely unique to them. Yeah. And a, a monitor a hundred yards away, isn't going to accurately represent what the temperature and humidity is right here where I'm working. Right. right. And so that was the aha moment of, Oh my gosh, if we could make, this thing wearable then it becomes portable and it'll go wherever the worker goes mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and that will give us really really rich data to understand what the individual person is being absolutely supposed to yeah so so
0: what what um what challenges have you found with implementation you know as you have i mean you work with some of my clients and some of my friends companies and one of the companies i'm, I'm sure it's well what the hell Ah, uh, White's company, for example. Yeah. Yep. Aaron Anderson, their safety one of their safety leaders is a friend of mine, and in my opinion, one of the most innovative safety people that I've ever worked with. Yeah. Um, and they seem to really love the uh, the device, the, the the technology, and the information. And I would imagine there are people who are going to be listening who would, would not have thought this would be really applicable to construction, but it's absolutely, absolutely applicable is. to yeah. construction. But what what were some of the pushback that you got when you were introducing this to companies? I mean,
1: well, I, I mean, first of all, uh, by nature, human beings don't like change, right? And so, you introduce any sort of change on a job site, you immediately know you're going to have uh, employees that 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 don't like it, right? And you go back to my earlier comment where you've got organizations that are looking at it from a punitive standpoint. Oh, well, how do I get the data so that I can go after people, right? And we know that that's a recipe for failure. We won't yeah. even do projects with companies like that if we, if we hear that. And mm-hmm. so um, there's always that initial hesitancy. There's also a lack of understanding right now, I think, across the industry of what, what can I have my employees or what, what can I make them do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm is this ppe is this uh a big brother is this like cameras like Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. where does this fall and and the the verdict is still out on a lot of this stuff and i i think i can make arguments for and against every single one of them right Uh, sure you know p ppe is that's the last line of defense right Mm -hmm. well this certainly isn't the last line of defense right Right. this is supposed to be way out in front yeah this is more of
0: an engineering control practically
1: It, it, it it is and so you know, does it fall under PPE? But, you know, uh, fortunately, OSHA provides business owners the ability to put in place the the mechanisms, measures and tools to implement safety as they see fit, if they understand that there's there's hazards present. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this would fall under that purview, right? Mm -hmm. That this is something that an organization can tell their employees. This is it. This is our new program. And we recognize that that was going to be an important part to success for us from the beginning, which is why we, we intentionally don't do a couple of things. You you said we do a lot, which we do. And there's a lot of sensor technology. There's a lot of things in there, but there's a few things that we intentionally don't do. One of which is we're not looking inward at the worker. We're not looking at biometrics. We're not looking Mm -hmm. at heart rate or physiology, skin moisture, Mm -hmm. body temperature, any of that kind of stuff. And the reality is I can't control that anyways. Right. As a business owner, I really mm-hmm. can't control, right. you know, especially mm-hmm. the, the the health decisions that employees make. We can encourage. We mm-hmm. can, you know, apply gentle pressure and guidance and things like that. But at the end of the day, we we really can't do a lot to, to do that. What we can do is we can impact the, the physicality of the job. Mm-hmm. We can impact the types of tools that we provide for for making that job easier right. for them. We can we can alter the environment. We can identify when we need to rotate people based on environmental data. Absolutely. All of these yeah. these things. Right. Um, and so I, I I think that becomes the um, the kind of the cornerstone of getting this started. And and again, you'll always have employees that are apprehensive, but the organizations that have come out and said, "Look, we understand." We promise to you, we're making a commitment and a promise to you. And we, you know, we're always on site for launch on day mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. right? And we're there to answer questions. We show them the dashboard. Here's what your leadership is getting. We encourage them to be transparent with the dashboard, show it to the people, put it on the break room, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but leadership makes a commitment. We're not going to use this for punitive action against anybody because the reality is we recognize as an organization that there are risks here that we don't see that are already here, that are happening today, that we don't see, that we don't understand, that we haven't identified. And we don't want to wait for an accident to happen before we take action on it. So Mm -hmm. that's why we're doing this. And we're going to use this data to to do positive change. And we found uh, some really good examples where uh, something will show up in the data and you've got a really solid safety leader that goes out there, shows the the individual, look, you're working 400% more physically harder than everybody else that does this Mm -hmm. job we appreciate the hard work right but this isn't sustainable for you long term we want you here for as long as you want to be in this career with us and maybe that's another 20 30 years this isn't going to happen for 20 or 30 years if you're four times more physical than everybody else we brought an ergonomist in we want to just do some observation and see if we can make it better or do you have any ideas on why you're exerting that kind of physical energy Mm -hmm. right and, and the power of collaborating with the
0: employee builds oh, yeah. upon that culture. Mm-hmm. Kind of a learning team's approach where the employees are involved in problem solving. It, it is. You know, I
1: mentioned that there's two things, right? So that was the biometric. And we, we stay mm-hmm. away from all mm-hmm. this sticky personal health mm-hmm. stuff. And th- there's still questions around legality, right? Can I, can I record my employee's body temperature? Can mm-hmm. I, emplo- you know, yeah. th- this is personal health data. What do mm-hmm. I have to do with it? How do I protect it? So all that stuff is mm-hmm. aside. The other thing that I think is really important and there's two schools of thought out there on this um, and I'll give both sides, right? So I can be fair, but you, you know, I, I firmly believe in where we stand on this, but we did not want to introduce negative feedback into the process of using the technology. And what I mean by that is we don't buzz, beep, alarm, shock, do anything to the worker that says you did something wrong from a device. Mm -hmm. Right. And my original thought behind this was if you've ever had a dog right and if the dog's barking people buy these shot collars and they put a shot collar on a dog the dog stops barking right but every time you pull that collar out what does the dog do puts its tail between its legs and runs away mm-hmm, right yeah. and so if you're negatively stimulating that worker they now associate the technology with negativity right for one so we're already losing the battle right, there right and the other thing that happens is You're an industrial hygienist by trade. There's ergonomists out there by trade. There's safety professionals who have have spent their career understanding how to mitigate risk and hazard. And now you're putting all that onus back on the employee because they're out there and they just did something. And now the system buzzed. And they're going, I'm just doing my darn job. Right, I've, been doing this, door. I've been doing this for 20 years. Then they put this thing on me and I pick up a box and I go, <laughs> <"Bzzz,"> right? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Right. right. And they're not an ergonomist. They, mm-hmm. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. And so our belief was it's important to know that something potentially hazardous happened or that somebody was exposed to something that's potentially hazardous, right? Or they're overexerting or working too hard. But let's get that information to leadership immediately through a a notification, Mm -hmm. right? So that thing happens, somebody, you know, repetitive motion, whatever it is, a slip, a trip, let's get that information to leadership. They now have not only that incident, but they have all this contextual data. Where are they at? What's the environmental conditions? How long have they been on shift? All of these kinds of things that they can see and they can go out and have a real conversation Mm -hmm. with that person. And that's a lot more powerful than just slapping a box on somebody's belt and buzzing them every time they... Every time they pick up a box.
0: Interesting. So, but obviously there were some employers who were interested in that. There are since it has become a debate of sorts, or at least you've taken a position on it. Yeah. So some wanted to be able to zap them. So that's the other
1: side of things. Mm -hmm. Immediate response, Mm -hmm. right? And the philosophy behind immediate response is if we can provide an immediate response at the moment something happened, we can train somebody better, right? I get that, and they do get immediate response, right? that person is going to do something different, right? Because what they were doing was causing it to buzz, right? Mm -hmm. Or to flash or alert Mm -hmm. or something like that. But how do you know what they're doing differently is, is better. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that's where, again, I I feel like from, uh, everything we try to do, Doug, when we think about the features of our product and the technology is we always ask ourselves, why is this important to the worker? We started from the mm-hmm, worker mm-hmm. level and built our philosophy outward. And, and I, I think that's important all the way to, you know, I, I'm not a safety person, but I've, I, I've done my best to try to get educated. I went on and became a certified occupational mm-hmm. safety specialist. I saw that, man. So cost I'm certified. That's so cool. it's, not, it's nowhere near a CSP or anything. And I, I don't want to, um, by any means, put myself on a standard with, with many of those professionals that have gone through all of that kind of training. Um, But we invest in cost training for all of our business facing people. So all of our salespeople, all of our customer service people, uh, account managers, even our product developers, the people that do design Mm -hmm. for our company are cost certified. And we did that because how can they build the best product and provide the best experience for a customer if they have no idea how to empathize with that person? They have no idea what that safety professional is doing mm-hmm. day in and day out the challenges that they're facing if we can't even know just a fraction of that and again you know we're, we're cross certified it's a fraction of, mm-hmm. of somebody's career right but if we if we can't even
0: speak on the same I level say just the the vernacular the it, the vocabulary it, it's world changing that, absolutely for us i didn't and, know that but, but it's because we care it's
1: all about that that worker right and how do we improve outcomes for that worker everybody wins when we do that right the worker Mm -hmm. wins they go home safely to their family Mm -hmm. and i I got a cool story here about about somebody that that did but they go home to their family the employer gets an employee that can come back to work the next day right right? they're usually safety done right is productivity right Mm -hmm. no longer do we have this garbage philosophy of well if i want to work safe i'm going to sacrifice productivity or if i want to have productivity i need to sacrifice safety we're realizing there's there's so many synergies between mm-hmm. those two things. Um, it, it just, you know, that I think that myth has has now been mm-hmm. debunked, right? So, so yeah. if everything we do starts with that employee, then everybody wins, except for the uh, what's like Bender and Bender guy, the accident injury lawyer on TV. <laughs> right, you know, he gets, right. he gets less calls, so he mm-hmm. loses. But I, I don't yeah, think anybody. Okay. He's yeah, doing all right. He's, he's all
0: right. He's got plenty. <laughs> so yeah, It's interesting. I, one of the things that you mentioned, this um, adaptability, the employees if they get zapped, if they were getting that negative feedback, they would adapt uh, the job in order not to get zapped with no real certainty that it's better, that it's safer, healthier, more productive. You just adapt. And so one of the concepts, again, that I've been reading, my entire philosophy of safety has changed in the last two weeks. (laughs) But one of the things they refer to is this guided adaptability. And with that data – and then the opportunity to the going to interact with the employees, you have an opportunity to guide in a, in a desirable direction that adaptability rather than just force them to adapt in some way. 100%. And, you know, we focused a lot on
1: how the data helps us find the, the problems. Some of the coolest stories that have come out of the work that we've done with our technology is where you've got an organization that maybe has 100 locations and they all do the same thing all over the world, right? So they've got it uh, on a handful of locations and they go, hey, this job role, let's just say loader, unloader, whatever, uh, job role, it's the same at every location. This location over here is showing an 800% less physicality, Mm -hmm. right? They're producing less energy, they're experiencing Mm -hmm. less G-forces. They all have the same output, right? Yeah, this one over here is 300% higher, right? But I'm going to go focus on this one here that's Mm -hmm. lower. And what what they find is they go and they realize, you know, Gary welded himself his own fixture that flips the thing over so he Mm -hmm. doesn't have to flip it over Mm -hmm. himself. And they go, oh, my gosh, we could build 100 of these things put them in every facility and we could lower the physicality risk across the entire organization right so it's not always about just uncovering where the likelihood of problems may be or where the risk is present but let's find out where people have adapted
0: yeah these highly efficient teams what are yeah. they doing differently
1: you talk about it all the time human beings adapt to work they'll adapt they'll adapt to the environment we've got great examples of that and you know i always joke like the i love lucy episode of you know when <laughs> the, the chocolates, chocolate's and, again, and they adapt and they just start shoving them in their mouth right they're not going <laughs> right. off the end anymore you know? <laughs> exactly plastic. right they, they adapt it's true we, we've got uh organizations in food production right where they've got conveyor systems and they're doing you know meat and other types of food production and um you know when workers leave and they go on their break or they move to a different location or whatever and that belt speed doesn't change right? They start working faster. They adapt mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. And that is where the risk starts to rise. Mm-hmm. And that's when accidents start to happen.
0: So can you tie then, so you could tie that the the belt speed, the line speed into that, the feedback that you're getting from the devices in some fashion then or something like that? Yeah. What's
1: beautiful about um, having wearable technology is, you know, we, we talk a lot about industry 4.0, factory 4.0, the connected factory mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. They talk about connected factory. But where's the worker in all of this equation? Right. We've got smart air handling systems. We've got smart machines, smart fort trucks. We got access control. We got machine shutoffs. We've got all of these things that are smart. But then we just left the worker out of it. Right. To just interact in this (laughs) smart world. Right. Right. But now uh, our our customers are uh, their equipment is able to see people. Because they have a device mm-hmm. on them now mm-hmm. and and they can they can recognize how many people are there. We could automate the speed of that production line based on how many people are there in real time, right? Mm-hmm. So they never have to start shoving meat in their mouth. With, yeah but do, <laughs> right, right? Yep, but, yep, absolutely. But you, you know what I mean right yes. We can uh, you know make doors open for people. I, I see a future too. We're not doing this with any customers today, but we're having conversations where if I approach a machine and as i'm walking up the machine already knows i'm gabriel glenn the machine checks the cloud and says he's authorized to use me checks the training log his training is up to date i'm going to go ahead and unlock Mm -hmm. so the moment i step up there it's ready to go I do what I'm doing on that machine. Everything that I produce during the time Mm -hmm. I'm there is tied to me in the cloud because it knows exactly when I was there. It knows exactly who was using it, right? And then I walk away and it can put itself into a state of waiting for Mm -hmm. the next person to come. That's powerful.
0: What's kind of like the two buttons on the driver's side of my car where my wife's adjustment and my adjustment (laughs) and you get in and you push, you know, my wife is five, four. And so we need a different setting for the car seat yeah and the machines are the same way adapt. from an ergonomic standpoint. If the machine can adjust to you based on your presence as you approach the machine, yeah, those are remarkable things. I was going to ask you what you know what what are you wor- working on right now, but these are i mean I don't have the brain power to even <laughs> conceive of the different directions you could go with this. I mean, yeah. it just seems like that. the, the, the workplace 4.0, as you're describing though, has to include a component of the employee. It It absolutely does.
1: Yeah. And we can't leave them. And I, and I get it. We're actually one of our earliest investors is a industrial automation company. Mm -hmm. Um, we're located inside of their, uh, headquarters. So they've got warehouse and production facility Mm -hmm. and everything. And they were very, very kind and gave us uh, really cheap rent. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I get it. Like, factory automation is happening but it it's not replacing jobs
0: mm-hmm.
1: right it's replacing vacancies mm-hmm. right now yeah and exactly. and and there's still so many more vacancies right and there's only so much at at this stage of of uh, human civilization there's only so much that a robot can do i know i do this all the time i'll mm-hmm. i'll tell siri to do something and it'll be like i'm sorry i don't understand i'm like i'd just gave you the simplest command you know? right just just call my mom and then it's like calling <laughs> gary and you're like right. i said my mom you know yeah. Yeah. so anyways it's, yeah I, the robots aren't going to take over the world yet right we got time maybe our kids kids or something can maybe. worry about that but uh so t- today if we can get human to to connected factory um you know woven together that, that becomes really powerful from mm-hmm. a productivity standpoint, from a job improvement standpoint. Um, and the reality is the good workers, the ones that stick around and want to build a career around it, they want to go in and be productive. Mm-hmm. They want to go in, do a great job, feel fulfilled in the work that mm-hmm. they did, and go home to their family at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I believe so too. So
0: it's incredible. It, it's like blowing my mind. I, you know, this in addition to what I've been reading the last few weeks, um, I'm gonna have to take a retreat. Where are we at? <laughs> uh, I don't. Oh, what time yeah. is it? We're, we're doing pretty ten. good. We're, we're, we're is it almost ten o'clock? Yeah. Well, you, you brought. Um, that's you. I would assume on the cover yeah. of that magazine.
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, smart manufacturing. That's awesome. Sure. Yeah, that. So.
0: Um.
1: So it, it's Where interesting.
0: You, and the pictures of. Whom?
1: Yeah. So a, a, a really quick story, but just you know the the philosoph- philosophical conversations you've had. You know just in the last few episodes one just yourself kind of reflecting on the book reading mm-hmm. and a great conversation with jim now i want to go to the amazon don't mm-hmm. want to eat grubs but i or, <laughs> or, or for drink Smith, you know i know i'm <laughs> i'm in no physical shape to go do what he talked oh, about no. on that but um anyways the philosophical side of things it's interesting. I, I I think sometimes people find their purpose. They, they, they follow, and, and Jim talked about uh, Abby, right? I mm-hmm. think was the gal's mm-hmm. name that, yep. that came through safety and, and yes. that was her calling, right? Yep. So I felt a really strong calling to this. i had been having dreams about it, been praying about it a lot and decided to take that leap, leave the company, walk away from the business we had just sold and and start this. Um, and, and a couple years into it, my grandmother wrote an article for the Cedar Rapids Gazette and I happened to, to read it and it was about this man on the, mm-hmm. on the cover. So mm-hmm. this, this gentleman walked out of a factory in Cedar Rapids and it was just moments before the factory exploded. Let's oh see if gosh. I can find uh, the photos here without uh, this. Is, this is great radio, by the way, as I'm flipping through <laughs> it, you know, okay, the people on TV, good. Are, you know, no, you're good, are getting it. Uh, anyways, the factory explodes takes the lives of all of his coworkers, but he survives and he survives and he survived because he decided he was going to take his lunch break that day and walked out of the factory. They lived on the job site, you know, back in the day, a lot Mm -hmm. of people couldn't afford um, vehicles and things like that factory workers. So he stayed in an apartment on the job site, uh, walked out to have lunch factory explodes. All of the coworkers uh, pass away, getting to it here. And, uh, and I wouldn't be sitting here with you, today this was your grandfather it's my great grandfather no shit. john griffin and if he wouldn't have decided to take that lunch break with with my great grandmother i wouldn't even be hanging out oh there oh it is my God. look at that that's when this was in cedar rapids. cedar rapids iowa douglas starch works factory that's wow. what's i don't know that's if incredible. it'll show up very well on there but that's that was it incredible and so when i read that's that not coincidence no when i read that story i I reached out to my grandmother and, and I went back to Cedar Rapids and I sat down and visited with her. And she's been one of my, my biggest cheerleaders. She understands exactly what we're doing. My grandfather, uh, her husband, he passed away just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. He was an engineer, uh, at Rockwell Collins radio, mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. And, uh, so they, they understood acutely what I was trying to do. And when I heard that story, I, I thought, this is it. This is, this is mm-hmm. destiny. This is, right. you know, and we've come a long way. Factories aren't exploding every day, thankfully. Right. Um, but we can do better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all I want to do. I, I just want to help us find ways to get better because nobody deserves to have an empty chair at the dinner
0: table. Right. And there was, I think 46 people that had, had empty chairs, remarkable. The, you know, so that's, that's a remarkable story. I I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Thank you for sharing that. So there is so much here <laughs> to unpack i As can we, hang out with you all day yeah but, we could yeah, probably sure, do this for sure Cam hours probably, and but, Cam yeah. probably left i think he's gone we'll have yeah, to shut that, it off ourselves at the end sure so um people are interested in more information how, how do they contact you makeyousafe.com or what, what? yeah so m-a-k-u-s-a-f-e.com so
1: it's actually a little play on words maku is hawaiian for risk so there's a little hidden meaning in our, our really? name, Make You Safe. So we don't spell it make you safe. We spell it M-A-K-U-S-A-F-E. Um, so check that out, Uh I would encourage people to check out. We've got a conference coming up where we bring in safety professionals we bring in operations people from all over the world Yeah, really will come to des moines iowa i'm gonna be there and i'm, I'm excited to have you there and i ho- i hope we'll showcase the best of des moines and i hope we'll have just really good robust discussion around the evolution of the safety mm-hmm. professional and, and how things are changing. And mm-hmm. we need to be able to keep up for the sake of our people mm-hmm. that go to work on job sites every day and roll up their sleeves and, and do work. We all need to get better. And that's what that conference is about is getting us all together so that we can make
0: each other better. And that's how this technology grows and evolves is through the input that you get from the users and the
1: employees absolutely iron sharpens iron and so the more we can get together and and learn from each other and our customers will share things with uh at the conference with with the group and with us that we've never heard Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. ways that they've used data to make improvements things that they've discovered other tools or other processes that they're that they're doing that have made a difference and so it's really just all about getting together uh celebrating the worker Mm -hmm. uh for a day spending some time in des moines and just getting to know our peers that would be fantastic i would love to
0: i would love to see if you could get some of these guys down there too i call them they don't answer my calls (laughs) if you call they might actually respond yeah but i think i'm trying to get aaron
1: uh, down there too i think aaron sarone my buddy aaron he's
0: one of our leadership guys uh and all of this is part part leadership is always part of this huge part of the exploration i commend you for um asking the same questions of your clients that you asked of those original group of manufacturers you know because it's sometimes asking the questions involves praise and positive feedback but sometimes it always involves a little criticism or constructive criticism hopefully absolutely that's you know that's a big deal too so i commend you for that because it's not you know hopefully you get some good good feedback. We do. Yeah. And it's, uh, the discussion is always fun.
1: Yeah. Again, it's, it's, a, uh, all about that worker and how do we, how do we make it right for them? And we don't have all the answers and that I didn't spend, you know, 30 mm-hmm. years in a career around this stuff. I'm just learning it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we can draw from the knowledge of everybody and make things better, it, it's just it's going to accelerate things so much more. So
0: fantastic. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for having I, me on. I, this it, is it's great. been a treat. And, uh, I've been looking forward to this last time we had it scheduled you had to go to paris or some yeah. shit like that so. yeah i got i got asked to
1: come <laughs> come speak at a safety conference out there so that was, was a that really, awesome
0: it was a really
1: cool opportunity i mean gorgeous hotel um paris can't complain i actually i have uh, like a zillion points because i travel all over the place for for mm-hmm. work and so i brought my, my wife along and, oh, good. She, and she ran the booth Oh, good. At the at the event, while well, I did the oh, speaking nice. and that kind of stuff, I cannot so
0: imagine was... telling my wife I was going to Paris for work and not taking. And, and so I <laughs> told her, "I go;
1: it's a work trip, so you got to work if you are coming." And she's like, "That's fine. I'll run a booth. That's I'll do whatever I go, got it." Yeah. In <laughs> fact, I think
0: I am bringing her to Des Moines. So awesome. You know, we uh, she she did historically did not travel with me when I was with OSHA. Sure, because you are in a car and you are going from site to site to site, and my per diem was like fifty bucks, and so I couldn't afford to eat if she was along. <laughs> but uh she has accompanied me on a few more trips at this stage of my career so and Des, Moines a, Des Moines is a fun town
1: it is uh we're gonna we're, we have a beautiful venue picked out um hopefully a really really uh inspiring and good program uh and then just a chance you know we'll, we always kind of wind up the day with cocktail hour
0: kind of sure, stuff sure. so
1: just a chance to meet networking
0: and yeah everything is about you know knowing people I I know we need to wrap this up but yeah I do want to So if we have to cut it off or people are just, you know, changing channels at some (laughs) point, but tell me, how how have you found support for the company when you were out there, um, looking for investors? I mean, is this, did you have to self fund this in the beginning or did you find people? Obviously you said you found a kind of a controls automation company that was interested or at least believed in you enough to be interested yeah. Have you, do you have any trouble now finding support or do you have plenty of investors now?
1: Well, it depends on where you look for support from. So we've been fortunate to raise over $17 million over Good. the course of six years. Good. It went from me being chief volunteer officer and my co-founder <laughs> working nights and weekends right. while he, while he worked his full-time job at IBM uh, to, to the two of us coming on uh, full-time. And now we've got 26 people, hopefully he soon to, to be hiring another one uh, next week. And so, uh, we've been fortunate to to have some very wonderful and forward-thinking people. Oh, support you've got some high-quality people. Man. We've got some great investors, uh, organizations like EMC Insurance. They were one of our earliest investors. Mm-hmm. I didn't even make the work comp insurance mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. to what we were doing. I was focused on guys like my dad. Right. And they reached out to us and said, you are going to change the world of worker compensation. Yeah. I said, cool, I have no idea what that means you yes, know tell but, me but they've invested multiple times in the company they've been a great partner fantastic they're providing our product to their customers um which is fantastic so if you're an emc policy mm-hmm, holder mm-hmm. right and we now work with you know more than a dozen insurance companies in that capacity so it's great that they're that's, on board with that wow, kind of stuff that's fantastic um you know we have uh some venture capitalists on our mm-hmm, cap table as well right mm-hmm. so that's that's been a great
0: experience is my buddy um, mark hayesbrook one of those dundee venture capital Uh, not dundee i okay yeah he just did a podcast not long ago he's a really interesting guy and i'm going to put you guys together because eventually when i retire i'm going to come to work for you and so uh that's probably 10 years down the road (laughs) but um anyway man i I know we have to wrap cam's over there going i've got another guy coming in yeah it's been fantastic and i hope we can do it again maybe in six months or something you can come back in and talk more about what you're doing or yeah. When now that we got kind of the, the past this, out of the way, I mean,
1: there's yeah, there's yeah, so, talk about every the day is so different for us. And every day something new happens and it's exciting and it and exciting. we're learning as we go. So it would be fun to, to come back. And there's probably things six months from now I'll laugh about and go, oh, I remember thinking, you know, that yeah. way six months ago. And now we think think this way. So Absolutely. I, I love that. it.
0: Gabe, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I hope I we can do it again. It. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, keep doing what you're doing. This is important work. So keep doing it. As you mentioned, this is just about people. That's all this is. So appreciate it. Thanks. Tom. Have a great weekend, man. Yeah. Thanks, Cam.
1: Ahora Media Production.